glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me, if you would, please, as we honor God's Word. Revelation 1, verse 7, and I'll say this again. If you're interested in the notes to the outline, please let me know, and I'll get you a copy of those. And if you asked me for the charts before, remind me. I think I've gotten everyone that asked for one, but uh, anyway. Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, Even so, amen. How many of you would describe what we just read as the blessed hope? Jesus is coming and everybody's going to wail. Does that sound like a blessed hope? No, yet the return of Christ is described as the blessed hope, as we'll see tonight. Now, go to 1 Thessalonians 5, if you would. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the, the great text on what we would call or refer to as the rapture is given, 1 Thessalonians 4, that catching up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then Paul goes directly out of 1 Thessalonians 4 into 1 Thessalonians 5. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, concerning the return of Jesus Christ, wherefore comfort one another with these words. That's not wailing, that's comforting. Okay, Chapter 5, verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of the light, of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Thank you. you may be seated. One of the reasons I selected First Thessalonians 5 is because it really deals with the two aspects of His coming in the sense of He deals with the coming uh, from the standpoint of the unbeliever in verses 1 through 3. Then he switches gears and deals with it from the standpoint of the believer. We look at the Lord's return completely differently. In fact, the world's not looking for his return. They've they've written it off as a joke, a scam, what have you. For us, we know it's true and therefore two completely different perspectives. And so tonight what I want to do is, is introduce, first of all, the the position that I would hold from the Bible that I believe anyone who really takes the Bible literally and just takes it as it is written by faith, uh, it's going to be hard not to come to this conclusion unless you have somebody interrupting that form of thinking with their own ideas. And so that is this, that the Lord's second coming is going to be taking place. So his return to earth is accomplished in two phases. One return but accomplished in two phases. One affects the believer and the other as it affects the unbeliever. And we'll see that as we unfold this from the Bible. What I want to begin tonight with, though, is some key passages of Scripture. We've just read a couple of them, and we're going to go through and read these these defining passages of Scripture that many times are gone to and referenced. Uh, There are a host of others. You read the book of Zephaniah, 
The day of the Lord, as that phrase is mentioned, it's in the book of Zephaniah seven or eight times. So you want to learn about the day of the Lord. One of the things I did this week is I just looked every time the Bible uses the term the day of the Lord. Each and every time it is a day of darkness, a day of judgment, a day of wrath. The day of the Lord is referring to that seven-year period on earth when the Lord will, that, that sets up the establishment of the Lord's kingdom, the tribulation period uh, leading up to the establishment of the Lord's kingdom. And then, of course, his, his coming, uh, Revelation 19, to establish his kingdom. He'll rule with a, a rod of iron. And so the day of the Lord is about the judgment of earth just before the Lord establishes his kingdom. It's a day, again, of darkness, of, uh, of wailing, uh, as Revelation 1-7 talks about. And so Second uh, Thessalonians, you're going to come into there, and they, they were being told by some false teachers that the day of the Lord was at hand, meaning they were living during the tribulation period, and they were being falsely taught that to confuse them. And so some of these passages we're going to look at and refer to the day of the Lord, but these are key passages that people are going to see that give us some de- definition to what the second coming uh, looks like. So let's turn, if you would, we looked at this one last week, to Daniel chapter 7. We'll start there. We're just going to go into order as it's put in our Bibles. The Daniel chapter 7, I just want to address a number of key passages of Scripture. We'll be touching back to these again and again throughout the message tonight. Daniel chapter 7, I will say this tonight is we, do, we call Thursday night Bible study, and this is far more in line. This is a lesson tonight more than it is preaching and a message. Daniel 7 verse 13, it's the vision that Daniel has of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. That reads just like Revelation 1-7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancients of, ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. So he's coming with the clouds of heaven. But then the verse 14 says, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. So obviously he's coming with clouds of heaven, but he's coming to earth to have a kingdom established and dominion that will not pass away. Uh, so it's the establishment of the Lord's kingdom on earth. And then let's go to Zechariah. Zechariah, that text of Scripture you're in all the time, one of your favorite books, I'm sure. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. By the way, you want some definition for the book of Revelation, read it alongside, uh, alongside the book of Daniel, read alongside the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. It's very clearly uh, revealing the fact that the Lord Jesus is going to come and deal with Israel, and they're going to see him whom they pierced, just as Revelation 1-7 says. How many of you are reading these verses, and it doesn't sound like he's coming as a thief. It sounds like he's coming as a king. I mean, if every eye shall see him, how is that like a thief? except it's going to come suddenly. But something's happening before every eye shall see him, uh, or you wouldn't even be able to establish the, the point that he's coming as a thief. Zechariah 14, verse 4, another very key passage of Scripture on the Lord's return. Zechariah 14, uh, verse 1 says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee, and I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. We'll read about that in the book of Revelation. And I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, 
and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great, very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And of course, we can read about this again in the book of Revelation. We read some of this in the book of Jude. So he's coming, his feet will rest on the Mount of Olives and cleave that mountain in half. That aligns with Acts chapter 1, verse 11, where after he ascended, the angel said, You men of Galilee, why are you standing you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus shall come in like manner as you have seen him go. He went up from the Mount of Olives. Guess where he's coming back down? To the Mount of Olives. So we see every eye shall see him coming with clouds. Every eye shall see him. He's going to come. Those that pierced him are going to look upon him, meaning he's going to be in the land of Judea. That's, where, that's the reference. The, the Jewish people are going to look on him whom they pierced, realize they rejected their Messiah. There'll be great wailing and so forth. So we're talking about an earthly kingdom, an earthly return, his feet on earth. Okay? Revelation 1.7, we already read. Go to Matthew 24, if you would. One of the key passages of Scripture, prophetic passages in the Bible, probably the most misinterpreted passage of Scripture in the Bible. Uh, falsely guessed at, all kinds of conjecture comes out of this chapter. Uh, and so Matthew 24, verse 30, but there's many blessings in this chapter. So verse 30, uh, it says... Let's go back to verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So at this time... Everybody's going to see him. Revelation's established that. Zechariah's established that. Matthew's established that. That when he comes with clouds, he's coming to earth. His feet will rest on the Mount of Olives, and every eye shall see him. But when we go to 1 Corinthians 15, this reads a little differently than what we've been reading about. This is written specifically to believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, let's think about that for just a minute. There's a number of mysteries that are unfolded or revealed in the New Testament, meaning they've always been truths, but in time past they were hidden. Now they're revealed. This mystery doesn't mean it's still a mystery. Paul says, behold, I what? I show you a mystery, meaning prior to this writing, he's going to show them something that men didn't know. They didn't understand. But this is part of the, the, the prophetic teaching concerning the Lord's return. Proverbs, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians 4. Just bear with me. We need to read these, these passages because these are the key defining passages concerning the Lord's return. Uh, there, again, there's a host of others, but these are, very, very, uh, these are key in defining. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse uh, 16. Let's go back to verse 13 again. Paul desires that they not be ignorant, but that they be informed. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. So talking about Christians who've died. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That word prevent, we use the word proceed or, or, or to go before them. Okay, Will not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, do what? Comfort one another with these words. Then if you would to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Great text on godly living as Christians. But here he ties that in to anticipation for the Lord's return. Let's start in verse 11. We'll just go down to verse 13. Our emphasis is on verse 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. We're in Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I understand there are times in Scripture where the Lord will, will speak about one thing. So, for instance, he'll be speaking about God, and he'll say, the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. We know they're one, but we also know they're distinct from one another, do we not? Now, he's describing the same event here in Titus 2.13. When he's talking about the return of Christ, he said, it's the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll tag back to that here in a little bit. If it was just Titus 2.13, we couldn't build this whole idea uh, we would be building a whole idea on one verse. You can't do that. But what I want to see tonight from Scripture is there's a pattern that's laid down uh, that, that it's, it's clearly in the Scripture that his return is in a twofold manner. And uh, we call that the rapture and the revelation. Okay, The word rapture not in the Bible. But the idea would be his return for the saints. If you want to phrase it this way, his return for the saints and then his return with the saints. That terminology is also used, that he returns with uh, thousands of his saints, ten thousands of his saints. And so the defining passages we've looked at, that's Daniel 7, 13, Zechariah 12, 10, and uh, Zechariah 14, 4, Matthew 24, 30, Revelation 1, 7, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, and Titus 2, 13. Uh, again, there's other texts that we, we will we'll look at, but those are primarily the ones. So that's number one. Number two, the distinctions then that are revealed in the scripture we've just read. There are some distinctions that come out of this. First of all, the first distinction is that we have two distinct perspectives. There are two distinct perspectives in the, in the text we've looked at. There is clearly the perspective of the unbeliever that the Lord is going to surprise the unbeliever. They will not have anticipated him. And as a thief that's already robbed you blind and then shows up when you didn't know, he's going to come. The thief does not come when it's daytime. Does he? That's what the Bible says over. The thief cometh in the night when it's dark. That is repeated and repeated. Meaning when the Christ returns, it will be a time of spiritual darkness on this earth. Now I want to ask you a question. What has to be removed for there to be darkness? Light. What are Christians? The light of the world. You know what the, you know what the church is called? A candlestick. And you know what? Prior to the, to the Lord's return... As a thief, there's going to be darkness on this earth uh, created. The Lord's not a thief, but in the sense of taking something precious from the earth, 
He will, but it will catch the world by surprise. So, 1 Thessalonians articulated it so clearly in chapter 5. It's going to come on the world by surprise, but on us, not. We're not in darkness. We're not in the, we're not in the dark. We're in the light of God's Word. We know He's coming. We're anticipating His coming. We are uh, anxious about His coming. We're looking for that to happen. We're looking for that blessed hope. And so the two perspectives is that of the believer who sees the return of the Lord as a comforting thing and the unbeliever who doesn't even think about the return of the Lord. So to the unbeliever, he's going to show up like a thief, unexpected, unlooked for, in the dark, when they're in darkness, when they're not... At a time when you think not, Jesus said, he will come, Matthew chapter 24. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. He references the days of Noah in Matthew chapter 24, and he references the days of Lot. The Lord Jesus references both of those time frames in Matthew 24. As it was in the days of Noah, you know what happened? Uh, did, did the flood surprise Noah? No, it did not. I don't believe Enoch's rapture probably sur- surprised Enoch. Do you think Enoch knew a flood was coming? Best we can understand, if you do the, the, the chronology correctly, uh, there in Genesis chapter f- uh, 4 and 5, Enoch was raptured just before the flood. <laughs> And he walked with God, and he was not, for the Lord took him. Did the, did the destruction of Sodom surprise Lot? And he knew it. Did it surprise Sodom? Absolutely, and that's the picture you have drawn. There are two perspectives. There's the perspective of the believer. We're not in the dark. We're not in the night. The prospect of Christ's coming is not distressing. It is comforting. The, to the unbeliever, they're not even thinking about it. And so the idea of the Lord coming as a thief in the night, that is... Uh, that is the, the concept uh, that we're looking for him, but the world will be taken by surprise. And then it's referred to, but every eye shall see him. And this tells us that, that his coming has a twofold aspect. Yes, he's coming as a thief in the night, but when he comes, there's going to be a point where the thief is made known. Make sense? So let me give you a few things. I was reading this week. This is from a book by uh, M.R. Dehan that I referenced on the second coming of the Lord Jesus. I think this is very intriguing. He points out seven things about a thief that correlate to the return of Christ. Number one, a thief comes at the darkest hour of the night or the darkest part of the night. He, he waits for darkness. And when we look at Scripture, this is why I, I spoke with a man recently and, and he said, I believe the world is getting better and better because of eschatological views. That's, that's his view that we are we're improving things. But according to Scripture, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. In the last days, perilous times shall come. If you look at Scripture, God said, look at, look at the churches. The last church dealt with, and whether you accept church ages or not doesn't really matter. The last one we look at is lukewarm. The churches weren't getting better and better uh, as you go through Revelation 2 and 3. Everything points to... Uh, apostasy. In fact, uh, right before the judgment falls, we see the church removed. Second Thessalonians, uh, the, he that now letteth will let till he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked be revealed. You understand, the last thing that happens before the tribulation is the Antichrist is revealed. And the world is convinced he is the answer. <laughs> and then the Lord shows up and deals with that whole system. And so there's two distinct perspectives. The perspective of the believer that, that sees the Lord's return as a comforting thing to deliver us from this present evil world, ultimately, finally, to get our glorified body. But then there's the perspective of the unbeliever. It's going to catch them like a thief in the night. And then it's described, we find the Bible says he's coming as a thief, but then it also says every eye shall see him. And so again, you find that 
him coming as a thief relates to coming and grabbing the church. You know what a thief does? He takes something precious. We continue to give me our list. He comes in the darkest part of the night. He comes quietly and unobserved by those who are sleeping. Meaning when the Lord catches the church away, the world won't know it. And I can't explain how they won't know it. You, you try to explain, but I'll be honest with you, and I don't want to get on a fringe, I don't want to be out on a limb, but how many of you know world governments are now deeply financially invested in alien life? In proving that there's alien life. Do you think right now, if the governments of the world come out and said, friends, we have been invaded by outer space, we have proven there is life on other planets because we have multiple citizens missing, do you honestly think that would surprise anybody? You have Bill Nye, the science guy, saying that's how we got life on Earth. It's from aliens from other planets. But there's not a God, mind you. <laughs> and my point is this. A thief comes, and he, he comes quietly and unobserved by sleepers. The world lies in darkness and is sound asleep. So he comes as a thief in the night as it relates to coming to catch his bride and get her while the world is sleeping. Number three, he comes away to, he comes to snatch something away. He comes to take something Number four, he's after that which is precious, such as jewels and gold and pearls. So he comes at the darkest part of the night, quietly and unobserved by those who are sleeping. He comes to snatch something. He's after that which is precious, jewels, gold, and pearls. And, of course, that refers to the local New Testament church, his bride. Number five, he's not interested in things of no value. He's not interested in the things that are that are of no value. Number six, he's come and gone before others are aware of it. Some of this is repetitive. Number seven, he leaves the house greatly impoverished, but himself greatly enriched. You compare that to the rapture. The Lord's going to come at the darkest hour of the world's history. He's come to snatch something away, his church. He has come to get what is precious, his bride. He has come and will come and go without being observed by those who are sleeping. When he leaves, the world will be impoverished and he will have been enriched. He'll have his bride and the world will have lost the salt and the light that has preserved her for so long. Compare that with 2 Thessalonians and you find that there is a restraining force in the world right now and it's the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Now, I'm not saying that the Spirit of God will not be present in the sense of his eyes on the world, but he will not be dwelling on earth as he has priorly in his pe- prior in his people once the rapture takes place. And so then there are so many correlations. His coming as a thief refers to him coming to snatch away his bride while the world lies asleep in darkness. Then, boom! As lightning that covers the whole heavens, every eye shall see him. They will have had no idea that he, he robbed them blind. He took his church out from among them. And see, I'm, I, don't know if it, I don't know if it resonates with you. When I hear that and you start comparing with what the Bible says, you go, man, that's it. That's right. And so then we see the distinctions revealed in Scripture. There are two distinct perspectives. The perspective of him coming as a thief to take something precious while no one's watching. And then the perspective of every eye shall see him. After he has taken his bride out, then he will return with his bride and every eye shall see him. In one point, we know the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess and that will be before his throne. And so then, uh, the, the distinctions revealed, letter A, there are two distinct perspectives. Letter B, there's reference to his return in two distinct places. He is returning to two distinct places. In the clouds and on the Mount of Olives are not the same place. And we don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out, Right? In the clouds and on the Mount of Olives are not to, are not the same place. The Bible does not say that the church or the, all the believers are going to be gathered together and so we will meet him on the Mount of Olives. Where will we believers meet the Lord according to 1 Thessalonians 4? In the air. 
Can you believe there are people today who are teaching, claiming to be Christians, claiming to be the Bible, and teaching that there is no such thing as a rapture? Now, nothing surprises me anymore. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 could not be plainer. You have to allegorize the Bible, meaning you have to say, well, that's symbolic. Meeting the Lord in the air is symbolic. It's what Revelation later will call the first resurrection. The first resurrection includes the snatching away of those that are asleep in Christ and we which alive and remain, and then of all saved believers before the great white throne. That consummates the first resurrection. Once all believers have been resurrected and united with the Lord in heaven, then there will be a second resurrection. How many of us understand there are two resurrections? Revelation articulates they do not take place at the same time. The first resurrection takes place when the Lord catches us away in the air and when he resurrects the dead in Christ, you get saved during the tribulation. I believe it's Revelation chapter 20. And then after that, you have the, uh, the great white throne and then all the, the, the unsaved dead are resurrected. John 5 refers to two resurrections. The book of Daniel refers to two resurrections and Revelation refers to two resurrections. The re- resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. And so we continue to see these two aspects the return of Christ as it relates to the believer and the return of Christ as it relates to the unbeliever. And so there are two distinct perspectives. There are two distinct places. We read he meets, we'll meet him in the clouds, but then Zechariah 14 and Acts 1 say he's coming to the Mount of Olives. Well, for the believer, it's to the clouds. But when he comes in the sky and he'll come to set up his earthly kingdom, he's going to come and put his foot down on the Mount of Olives. So there are two distinct perspectives There are two distinct places of his return. Let her see there are two distinct purposes. When he comes, he's got two distinct purposes. The purpose toward his saints is deliverance. The purpose toward us is to deliver us from our our corrupt body. Remember what we read in 1 Corinthians 15? This corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. When he comes for the saint, it is called the blessed hope. When he comes and every eye shall see him, They'll all wail because of him. We pointed that out in the introduction. So his return has two distinct purposes. There's two distinct places, two distinct perspectives, two distinct purposes. First uh, Thessalonians 5.3 tells us that he's coming, of course, the second phase of his coming when he comes and every eye shall see him is very clearly for judgment on the unbelievers. All of Second Thessalonians deals with this, the fact that he's coming to execute wrath and judgment, that he'll come with flaming fire. Second Peter chapter 3 deals with the second aspect of his coming. Second Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read that. I'm talking about two distinct purposes for his coming. Second Peter chapter 3, if I can ever get myself over there, I shall read it. Verses 10 down through verse 14, we read this text fairly often. Verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come. So there's a reference to the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Uh, And so we have two distinct purposes, the deliverance of the saints, but the judgment upon sinners. There are a host of other passages that would reveal this to be the case. For us, we are anticipating his return. For the world, they would have nothing to anticipate because he's coming with judgment. So we've seen two distinct perspectives Two distinct places, the Mount of Olives and in the clouds. Two distinct purposes, deliverance of the saints, judgment upon the sinners. 
two distinct portrayals. We read it earlier in Titus 2.13, but we are looking for that blessed hope. That's meeting Him in the clouds. That's our blessed hope. When, when we get a glorified body, when our corruptible puts on incorruption, when our mortal puts on immortality, it is explicitly described in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4. What you'll find when there are those that do not believe in the rapture or they don't believe in a premillennial or pre-tribulational return of Christ, they will often reference Matthew 24 and Mark 13, but rarely reference 1 Thessalonians 4 or 1 Corinthians 15. If so, it's like, we well, yeah, I'm aware those passages are there, but... <laughs> but they're there to give us a mystery that was past hidden, meaning you're not going to read about the rapture except for by typology in the Old Testament because it was hidden. But to us, it's not hidden. We will meet the Lord where? This guy, we've got to nail this down. In the air. The unbelievers will not meet him in the air. Believers will, and that's at what point, according to the Word of God, we get a new body. That's the blessed hope. You know what the glorious appearing is? When every eye shall see him. Whenever I shall see him. Look with me, if you would, very quickly at Jude, the book of Jude. Two distinct portrayals of his return. Jude 14 and 15. Notice very carefully how the Spirit of God worded this. It's very interesting because Enoch is referenced in verse 14. Uh, and again, I think this is very interesting. When the Lord refers to his return, he, he references the flood and he references the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. So we're going to see in a minute that the Old Testament by typology gives us these two aspects in, in demonstration in Noah, or excuse me, in Enoch and in Lot, believers who were delivered prior to judgment falling. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But uh, Jude, verse 14, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with, notice that word, with, not for, with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In verses 14 and 15, we're reading of the glorious appearing. This is the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Is he coming for the saints or with the saints? Now, that's an important word. That means the saints are already at this point with him. You can read the same language in Revelation chapter 19. He's coming with the armies of heaven. He's coming with his people, not for his people at that point in time. He's coming to execute judgment and he's coming with the saints. Very quickly, Colossians chapter 3 verse 4. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4. The Bible says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And then uh, finally, um, one more text, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. This twofold aspect or reference, and this one's not maybe as, as clarifying as Titus 2.13, um, but uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He's going to judge the quick, that's the living, the, the saved at his appearing, the dead, the unsaved at his kingdom. It speaks of this in, in twofold, almost every time. It's in a twofold aspect, a, two, uh, a twofold dimension. And so uh, the, the distinctions revealed, two distinct perspectives, that of the believer and the unbeliever, two distinct places on the Mount of Olives and in the clouds, two distinct purposes, deliverance for the saints, judgment for the sinner, 
two distinct portrayals. It's called the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. And so then thirdly, the demonstrations of Scripture I reference to you, and I'm just going to reference them for time's sake. We have Enoch, the seventh from Adam, just before the flood. Enoch walked with God, Genesis chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 tells us. Jude 14 tells us. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6 tells us that he walked with God and he was not, for the Lord took him. That was truly a rapture. He met this. Somebody said, where did Enoch go? He met the Lord in the air. I don't know. I can't explain all of that. All I know is before the flood came. Now, somebody will say, and rightfully so. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. The flood came, and what about Noah? Very good point. My question is this. If the flood is a picture of the wrath of God, and it is, and the final judgment, are there going to be people saved during the tribulation? Of course there will. But before that happened, there will be many people. You can read in the book of Revelation. Many will be saved. The two witnesses will be preaching. 144,000 will be preaching. But may I ask you this? Primarily, who's getting saved during the, the tribulation period? Jews. Primarily Jews. In that ark, there was one family that would later become the Jewish nation. So it's a picture of those who will be saved during the flood, especially the Jewish nation preserved from God's judgment. There are those who want to run there. Look, Enoch was taken out before the flood. Then when you come to Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, there are those who hold a theory. Well, here's what's going to happen. The faithful will be raptured before the tribulation, but unfaithful Christians have to go through it. You know what God does? He gives us two examples. Enoch. Was Enoch a faithful believer or an unfaithful? But then we have Lot. Was he a faithful believer or an unfaithful believer? Both of them were pulled out before judgment fell. The idea that the faithful will be, rat- will be spared the tribulation, but the unfaithful have to have their purgatory on earth, I guess. No, no, no. Both Enoch and Lot, a picture of the faithful believer and the lukewarm believer, if you would. Both are taken out prior to judgment falling. Before God would let fire fall on Sodom, Lot had to be out of the way. Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 2, I believe it is. Excuse me, First Peter. No, Second Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, tells us that God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation in reference to getting Lot out of Sodom before the fire fell. Those two pictures show us that God's people, those that are justified by faith, are going to be removed before the judgment of God falls on earth. First Thessalonians 1 Verse 10 in 1 Thessalonians 5.10 says, We have been saved from wrath. You know what the tribulation is? It's the wrath of God on earth. The wrath of God. Some believe in what's called a pre-wrath rapture and some a, pre, you know, a mid-trib rapture. But as we look at these things in Scripture, it lines up that prior, and especially as we continue the book of Revelation, that before the tribulation even begins, the church as an institution, the bride of Christ is taken out. So we see demonstrations in Scripture in the life of Enoch, in the life of Lot, then we see the demonstration of the twofold aspect in Scripture in the books of, um, uh, in the two aspects of the Lord's first coming. I mentioned this the other night, and I'm almost done. In the two aspects of his first coming. You realize Jesus had two aspects of his first coming. When he came in the record of his birth in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, let's go through who actually recognized Jesus as the Messiah during that time. Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds, Anna and Simeon. Anna and Simeon had read the scriptures and already believed the Messiah would come. Simeon knew he wouldn't die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. The group of people that are recorded as having recognized Christ as Savior in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 are people that were looking for him. Now you say the shepherds weren't. They were after the angels told him he had come. Meaning when they were told the truth, the, the moment he got... So there was two 
revelations of Christ, if you were, in earth in His first coming. Those who were looking for Him at His birth, and then 30 years later, He was revealed to the whole nation. Amen? And even to the Gentile world. And so that's another demonstration of the twofold aspect of His coming. First, for those that are looking for Him. Secondly, for those who were not looking for Him. They were confronted with Him anyway. And then finally, we have the demonstration of Scripture in the books of First and Second Thessalonians. First Thessalonians deals exclusively, almost exclusively, except for chapter 5, with the rapture. It deals with the fact that we have a blessed hope. We're looking for the Lord. We're going to meet Him in the clouds. Second Thessalonians deals ex- almost exclusively with the revelation. You can read 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2. 1 Thessalonians is about the blessed hope. 2 Thessalonians about the, is, is, is about the glorious appearing, how he'll come, and he'll come with flaming fire to take vengeance on them that know not God and have not obeyed the gospel. And so we see this over and over. In 2 Thessalonians, they were told the day of the Lord is at hand. No, it's not. So we have all these demonstrations, Enoch and Lot in the Old Testament, the two aspects of his first coming, 1 Thessalonians dealing with the rapture, 2 Thessalonians dealing with the revelation. And so then uh, we see uh, the defining passages of Scripture, the distinctions that are revealed to us that we've, we've gone through, the demonstrations of Enoch and Lot, the two aspects of his first coming, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And finally, our deduction is this, what we say at the beginning. We see in 1 Corinthians 15, 51-57, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, his coming for the saints. The world will not know. Christ will catch us away. We'll meet him in the air. And he'll has, he will have come as a thief in the night and snatched away what is precious to him, what is not precious to the world. And then he will return, according as we can see in the scriptures, seven years later following the tribulation with the saints as described in Jude 14 and 15, as described in Revelation. He'll come to the Mount of Olives and begin to set up his kingdom on this earth. And, uh, and again, it's, it's described in Revelation 19, coming with the armies of heaven and so our deduction from all of these things is his second coming is in two phases. First for the saints and then with the saints. That's the best way I know to describe it. For the saints and then with the saints. And you say, well, I've heard this before. Well, then I praise the Lord. I have too. But sure is good to hear it again. And I believe as we work our way through Scripture, we're going to come to Revelation chapter 4 and we're going to read of the rapture. Now, really, it's not the word again is not used, but John will hear a voice that sounds like a trumpet. 1 Corinthians 15, the trump will sound. 1 Thessalonians 4, the trump will sound. Revelation 4, John heard a voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm coming down hither. No, come up hither. He said, immediately I was in heaven. It's a picture of the rapture. After Revelation 4, 1, you know how many references there are to churches on earth in the book of Revelation? Not until it's all done and we have a new heaven and a new earth and it's referring to the bride of Christ being with him. There are no references left of the church on earth after Revelation chapter 4. There's overwhelming evidence. May I say this? Our belief on things to come as Bible believers, as Bible-believing Baptist people, it's not, hey, we don't want to go through the, rap, the tribulation, so let's develop a doctrine that says we're not going to. It's, it is based upon reading and studying what the Bible says. Say, hey, here's some things God's Word says. There's light given and may I say this, a lot of people want to act confused about things to come. There are things we don't know and we don't understand, but God said a lot that we can understand, such as in the clouds versus on the Mount of Olives. And so as we take all of Scripture and say, well, we accept it all, we come to these conclusions that there's two aspects His return, for the saints and then with the saints. Amen. I hope that's helpful to you tonight. Again, if you have any desire for the, the notes, I'd be happy to share those with you if you want to look back on that. A lot of scripture reference there that may be helpful to you to look back on.